hey, it's Elahe. So the Supreme Court today handed down a major decision on affirmative action, overturning decades of precedent. We have the university cases. Okay, they're coming today. The court has restricted the use of race in college admissions, and it's contentious. I'm very saddened. I'm very saddened by this decision. I don't think it's going to bring our country forward. Today is also a historic victory for all Americans because, you know, uh, this ruling will preserve the meritocracy. This is a complex decision, and we're going to have an episode for you tomorrow that not only explains what just happened, but really unpacks what's next for college admissions. But in the meantime, we have a little something different for you today. A little break from the news. I don't know about you, but these past few months have felt really hectic. So I have been really looking forward to summer. You know, it's a time to relax and escape with a good movie. When I think of the movies coming out this summer, I keep returning to a Trojan horse metaphor. That's Sonia Rao, a pop culture reporter for The Post. And I wanted to talk to Sonia about all the movies coming out this summer. I'm expecting to be surprised, um, I think, which is the best part of watching a movie, right? Is not, you know, not knowing what you're going to get. And there are a lot of upcoming movies that could surprise us. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Mission Impossible 7, blockbusters that make me feel like it's going to be a big movie summer. So I got Sonia together with our movie critic, Anne Hornaday. But Anne, she's not so sure about my prediction. And she points to the state of theaters post-pandemic. You know, they want everyone to come back, and I still don't—I'm still not picking up on the fact that everybody's coming back. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Thursday, June 29th. Today, I talk with Sonia and Anne about everything we need to know about the movies out this summer. And we look at the state of the movie industry right now. I want to start out by asking the both of you about the movies that you think our listeners should be paying attention to, should be on their radar, the ones that you're really excited about. So let's start with two movies that I think are, you know, at least anticipated to be big blockbusters, and that is the Oppenheimer movie and Barbie, that movie. So I want to start first with Oppenheimer. And can you tell us what that movie is about and just give us a sense of why it is getting so much buzz? I'm actually genuinely excited to see Oppenheimer. It, this is a movie by Christopher Nolan, who is always interesting anyway. Usually, you know, he's in his own world. Like, he's creating these imaginative, you know, world-building-type, you know, scenarios. But in this case, it's it's a biopic about Robert Oppenheimer, who is, you know, known as the father of the nuclear bomb. Um, he worked on the Manhattan Project in New Mexico in the 1940s um, while you know, the U.S. was trying to end the war, and um, they were racing against time. We're in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have a bomb. He's a fascinating man. He had a lot of contradictions. He was later 
investigated for communist sympathies. So he, mm. he got caught up in the McCarthy era. He was really eccentric. Um, and, of course, he did come to regret, I think, you know, his his role in bringing the atomic age into being. So I'm really hoping, I'm very optimistic that the movie explores all those contradictions, and I can't wait to see what Nolan does with that story. Sonia, when is Oppenheimer coming out, and why is this movie that, I mean, it's about this historical real person history. It feels kind of heavy, the subject matter. Why is this like a summer movie that's getting buzz? Yeah, it comes out July 21st. Um, Christopher Nolan is a big July movie guy. Uh Really? So if you look at the release dates, he's big on the summer movie, Um, which is interesting because I think a lot of people think of the fall as like the quote-unquote prestige movie time. Right. Um, That's when we sit down and get serious, right? Exactly. (laughs) And I think that, you know, I mean, I like to think that we are an intelligent population that can handle serious movies in July. Um, (laughs) But I also think, you know, it's smart to me to capitalize on the summertime. Um, We're talking about an event movie, and Christopher Nolan has that following. Mm. um, And he can bring people to the theaters in July. So he doesn't really need the Oscar buzz. He can kind of just do whatever he wants. And I think the summer has been big for him um, historically. Yeah, and I would imagine that... Since there are so many movies are coming out this summer that maybe scratch a different kind of itch, there's still going to be a group of people who want this sort of movie. And if there aren't as many movies like this, then, hey, Christopher Nolan, July, you're on to something that kind of makes sense. Um, the other movie now I want to talk about is Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken which I understand it's coming out the same day in July as Oppenheimer. What a pairing. Uh, the movie, the, the trailers, the memes, everything, they've just been all over social media. Mm-hmm. It's become like an event even before the movie has come out. Sonia, can you tell me a little bit more about this movie and what people should expect? Sure, and I think that's the fun thing about it is because people have been trying to figure out what this movie's about. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Leading really? up to the trailer, yeah, I think... The first piece I had seen from the set was, I think, pictures of Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, um, who play Barbie and Ken, respectively, um, dressed in this, like, crazy neon getup on some beach. And I think from that moment onward, people were like, what are they doing? You know, are Barbie and Ken in the real world? Um, Which actually seems to be the premise. The trailer suggests that, you know, Barbie's living in her Barbie world. They're all dancing. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. There's a moment where she goes, do you guys ever think about dying? And then you realize this isn't just, you know, Barbie's playhouse, funhouse, whatever. It is a movie about this character, I guess, interacting with the real world and dealing with things in that capacity. That's so interesting to me that there's yeah. this aura of mystery around this movie. And mm-hmm. it's not a movie that you'd expect to have an aura of mystery, let alone that it would captivate so many people. Yeah, and I think the important thing to note here is that this is a movie from Greta Gerwig, um, I think best known right now for Lady Bird, um, her Oscar movie, so it were. And so I think that, you know, something coming from Greta is going to have that other layer. And I think in this sense, it is kind of an intrigue layer. I think once we see the movie, we'll see how much she dives into that. And Anne, have we seen any other movies sort of like this come out before? Is there any sort of comparison that comes to your mind when you think of the the hype and the mystique around this Barbie movie? It is part of this little mini trend where the brand is the star, you know, mm. and we saw that with Air earlier this year. Um, ben Affleck's movie about the invention of the Air Jordan. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. 
I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. So what you have is the concept, right? You have the brand identity. And it's like, well, how are you going to build a narrative around that? We saw it in Blackberry, a completely charming, smaller movie, but really good uh, about the invention of the Blackberry. What can I do for you? Okay, picture a cell phone and an email machine all in one thing. There is a free wireless internet signal all across North America, and nobody has figured out how to use it. It's like the force. It's the human story. You know, it's the story of the people that brought these brands, you know, made these things brands. But you don't have that with Barbie. You know, right. Barbie's the actual mm-hmm. character. So then that, I think, adds that extra layer of it. It's like, okay, how are you going to thread that needle? And the the tricky part about the Barbie, I mean, of all these movies, this is the one people ask me about the most. Really? Oh, for Why sure. Why do you think that is? And it's, I don't, well, I think there's a lot of loyalty on the part of the young women who grew up with, with the Barbies. You know, I, mean, I say young. Well, it's like been around forever. <laughs> exactly. But even people outside that demographic are so curious about it. Um, and I think... I think a lot of it does have to do with, like, what is this particular artist, Greta Gerwig? Mm-hmm. And she co-wrote it with Noah Baumbach. They're both really, really smart. And you know that they're not going to just play it straight, right? But the trick is to make it make that commentary without alienating the people who love the thing, you know? That's yeah. going to be what's so interesting to see. And also not preaching. So it's like threading yeah. that needle between maybe in this case, I don't know, I'm just assuming or maybe projecting, will this movie have some layered commentary about consumerism, about exactly. sexism and feminism and the patriarchy, but also can it be fun, not only not alienate people, but not feel like I'm being preached to for exactly. an hour and a half or two hours. That's so. exactly right. And then, of course, there are action movies, which I feel like that's what happens during the summer. Action movies, superhero movies. This summer, there will be another installment of the Mission Impossible franchise. It's coming out July 14th. And are all of our action movies now just essentially a sequel or another installment of a franchise? Should I be less dismissive of those movies? Well, I will just plant the flag for Mission Impossible because I think of all these franchises, it's been the most reliable. Ethan, this mission of yours is going to cost you dearly. That's the one that has disappointed me the least. Interesting. It, it just, it always, it's just, they're always well executed. And I do, I do think it comes down to Mr. Tom Cruise. He's a one-man quality control department. And I think he has kept these things at a really high level of execution. And not just the stunts. I mean, it's really, bec- it, now it's become about what will Tom do? How yeah, will he, he talk- does all his own stunts. Exactly. That's his whole thing. And that's become a huge marketing thing and all that. But I think. Almost as important, if not more important, is that he really does surround himself with especially good writers. And I do think that that it shows up on screen, ultimately. I also used to feel like there were a lot of big comedy movies, rom-com movies, and that there are just fewer and fewer of these kinds of movies coming out and being big events in the theater. I am wondering about this Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City. Could that be thought of as a comedy? I think so. I mean, I think one of Wes Anderson's greatest traits, in my mind, is his comedic timing um, in his movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's kind of the genre where I don't know if I would classify this as a comedy or just 
a movie in general that has comedic <laughs> elements. Right. Um, you what know, a I, genre, anyway. Yeah, and I think this movie in particular, Asteroid City, it, there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, there are many layers. I believe it's a play set inside a movie set. Like, you also see the guy writing this play that's inside mm. the movie. So there's a lot of different, like, you're jumping around um, different layers here. You're not here. We're not there. The car exploded. Come get the girls. I have to stay here with Woodrow. I'm not the chauffeur. I'm the grandfather. Where are you? Asteroid City, Farm Route 6, Mile 75. But it is, you know, ultimately, in terms of his recent movies that I've seen, it is very much one of those movies that questions, like, people's spirits. Um, There's aliens involved. You know, there's a lot of what does it mean to be alive Mm. going on in this movie. Um, But there's jokes. You know, there are jokes in these movies. Um, you know, if Wes Anderson movies work for you, I know they don't work for everyone. Right, they don't acquired work taste. For me. Right, acquired taste. But I think that is something across the board I've always appreciated about him. Is you know, he's very good with comedic timing, and his actors are. He chooses people who can fit the voice of his movies very yeah. well. And Sonia, I want each of you to tell me: Is there one movie that we haven't talked about that you are excited about or you think our listeners should be paying attention to that might not be on people's top five big blockbuster, but or maybe it is, but just one that you think is underrated or that you're really hyped to see? And I'm going to start with you. <gasps> Put me on the spot. I think the movie this summer that has taken me most by surprise is Past Lives. Um, it's just this really tender, delicate d- drama by Celine Song. It's her writing and directing debut, which is just so impressive. And it's about a young woman who has, you know, her family moves from South Korea when she's very young, when she's 12 years old, and she leaves behind her childhood sweetheart. And she forges a new life, first in Canada and then in New York. And she wants to become a playwright and a writer. And and then as a young adult, she reconnects with that that past love online. What a good story this is. Childhood sweethearts who reconnect 20 years later and realize they were meant for each other. There's just this kid in my head for such a long time. I think I just missed him. What ensues is this, you know, it it it's it sounds like a million other stories of like the of people that that happens to, but mm-hmm. I just think this is so observant and so sweet and beautifully acted by the entire cast. Um and the momentum that it gathers, it, it just it took me completely by surprise. Mm. It, it was just a quietly devastating, wonderful little movie. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anne, for that. Oh, yeah. Sonia, do you have a movie that is on your radar? Anne stole my movie. I was going to say <laughs> Past Lives. I think I'm also interested in seeing how some movies play mm. um, that maybe I have or haven't seen. The movie Bottoms, I'm really interested in seeing how it's uh, received by anyone, honestly. Um, Why? This is a movie by the filmmaker Emma Seligman. Um, They made this movie Shiva Baby, which was, you know, very small, but kind of had a cult following of sorts. Um, This movie also stars Rachel Sennett, um, who kind of became almost an internet darling out of that movie. Um, She's also in The Idol and also Ayo Edibiri, known for The Bear. Um, She plays Sydney on that. They play girls. They play teenagers. Um, They play high school students who are trying to, you know, get closer to their crushes. Um, 
who are both other girls as well. And so they kind of start this fight club at their high school as a means to get closer to these people. What's your plan here? We teach a bunch of girls how to defend themselves. They are grateful to us. Adrenaline is flowing. Next thing you know, Isabel and Brittany are kissing us on the mouth. So it's both, you know, kind of a teen rom-com. It's also very violent, mm. honestly, because it's a fight club in the truest sense of the meaning. Oh, wow. And so I am interested in seeing how this plays. After the break, we explore the future of the movie industry, as streaming services have changed so much. We'll be right back. So I do want to zoom out now a bit and ask about the state of movie going in the U.S., just generally, because we're coming out of the pandemic, there was this big conversation about we need to get people back in movie theaters and what that's doing to the industry. In addition to, you know, when you've worked on a film, you really want people to see it in a theater, but then you, you know, balance that between, well, will more people see it if it's not in a theater and on streaming? Are people back spending money at the movie theaters? You know, I, I'd make it a point to try to talk to as many independent theater people as I can just to kind of take the temperature. And in that world, you know, like I think at their strongest, they're probably at about 70 to 75 percent of what they might have been pre-pandemic. And yes, those numbers are going up. Those are box office numbers, though. And so what I was told, you know, in these conversations is that you have to account for inflation. You have to account for ticket price. So attendance is still relatively flat. Um I see. So people are maybe spending more money, but that's because the tickets cost more. It's not necessarily more people are going. That's right. My understanding is, you know, in from 2017 to 2019, i.e., pre-pandemic, the total box office was a little shy of five billion dollars. Um, now it looks like it's about three point five billion. It might have ticked up. I mean, this is based on conversations I had a couple of weeks ago. So. You know, and again, if you if you account for inflation, um, it's it's still precarious. And and I do think that the missing link are these is that full menu of films that kind of are for everybody. You know, um, whether they're little movies or mid range movies, like you made the point, Elahe, about comedies. We just need a little bit. We need a, a stronger ecosystem still. And Anne, I'm I am wondering how the explosion of streaming and pretty much straight to streaming movies, even if they've gotten a weak theatrical release, how that's affected the the craft of movie making itself and, and impacted, you know, the way movies are made and what we end up seeing. I do think that it it's affecting the grammar in terms of the end use. You know, people know this is ultimately going to be seen on a smaller screen than an IMAX screen. So you're gonna you're gonna just be seeing a lot of you know, close up, close up, two shot, close up, close up, two shot. And I hate that. That's not, that's my least favorite, mm. <laughs> you know, rhetoric. Yeah, it's <laughs> like visual f- rhetoric. It's just very boring. But, you know, I I do think it shows up that way. It, you know, this year at Spider-Verse, for sure, brought people back into the theater. I think Little Mermaid is is hanging in there and doing pretty well in terms of getting people in. But what we have yet to achieve is that cadence of different kinds of movies and different scales of movies that still bring people in. 
We've already seen some flops that were anticipated to be really big at the box office. I'm thinking especially of The Flash, this superhero movie that didn't do as well as was anticipated. What do you think that says about the future of the industry? Yeah, The Flash is a really interesting movie to talk about because Ezra Miller, the actor who plays the character, has been in major legal trouble in recent years. Um, They were charged with a felony burglary, among many, many other charges. Miller's mostly denied the allegations. Um, To one charge, they pleaded no contest, and to the felony burglary charge, not guilty. Miller, previously known for their roles in films like Justice League and Fantastic Beasts, is now also becoming known for alleged behavior off-screen. Traditionally, studios wouldn't want to put out such a large, you know, expensive movie hinged upon a star who has a history like that. In this case, you know, they chose to. Um, DC Comics did, and, you know, Warner did, they did put out this movie. Mm. And, you know, it's been a really interesting one to watch the conversation around as well. I mean, I believe Michael Keaton came back for this movie, so that's a big deal for anyone who cares about the Batman character, you know. Um, I do. I, I'm into Batman absolutely. movies. And I mean, I, I watch the Keaton movies. You know, it's it's a big, big movie. But the fact that it didn't do very well at the box office is kind of surprising to me. I think, you know, the whole Avengers thing is that everybody you like is in this movie. Um, I think, you know, there's an element of that that draws people to go watch it. You know, all your favorite heroes are in this movie. The Flash had all these people in it. And, you know, it didn't do that well. So I think we're kind of reaching the point of, OK, what actually does bring people? Is the superhero formula not going to work anymore? So I also want to ask, as of this taping, there's still the writer strike going on, and the movies that are coming out this summer, they've already been written. But should we be thinking about the writer strike, and will this impact next summer movie season or even the fall? Like, when when will moviegoers feel the effects of the strike? It's a good question. I mean, I think it's more obvious in television um, because, you know, the lead time is so much shorter with a lot of network TV shows. Um, So I think, you know, we'll see the impacts of the strike maybe this fall on network TV, um, that sort of thing. I do think this will, of course, you know, impact screenwriters uh, for the, you know, for film as well. Um, I imagine it won't be an immediate thing. I think maybe like in a few couple of years, two years probably. Yeah. I wow. think the word of the, the kind of rule of thumb is two years. You know, you're yeah. two years out from any. But that also loops back into why some of these movies are failing because they mm-hmm. don't have the late night talk show circuit to promote on. And oh. that is so key with these things. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fascinating. Right. And in the case of Ezra Miller, they weren't doing any press at all. Like, I yeah. think um, they were keeping off that circuit anyway, so it was like a double whammy. So they're they're a little bit behind the eight ball with that. Okay, so when we look at the slate of movies coming out this summer and also everything else going on in Hollywood right now, what message are you walking away with? And how are you feeling about the future of the industry? All right. So when I think of this summer movie season, if I were to sum up one word, I would say apprehensive. And I wouldn't have expected to say that necessarily last year because I felt I felt like things were really getting back into some kind of a normal groove. But I still think we have yet to find that that cadence. And I know I keep saying the word cadence, but that's the word I hear from a lot of especially exhibitors. I think it's scary. I think, I mean, and this isn't the only time that we have been uncertain, right, about the way the technology impacts art. Um, But I do think that, you know, we're kind of at a point where 
I want to say breaking point, honestly, with the way that streaming has impacted the people who are actually working in Hollywood to create this art. I mean, we're talking about big name directors who are probably fine financially, you know, speaking. But there are, you know, everyday people whose lives and their, you know, their livelihoods, their children, everybody depends on, you know, the future of these jobs. I mean, what does it look like to be a writer? What does it look like to be, you know, a production assistant um, in Hollywood these days? And so I think, you know, a lot of people in Hollywood across, you know, crafts are really trying to figure out, you know, where do we go? How do we sustain um, these various art forms? Well, thank you both so much for joining me today and, and having this conversation about not just summer movies, but the state of the industry. Mm. Thank you both so much. Thanks a lot. Hey. Thank you. Anne Hornaday is the chief film critic for The Post. Sonia Rao covers pop culture for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Ariel Plotnick and edited by Rena Flores. Thanks to Alana Gordon and Tanya Chavla. I also want to tell you about something really cool happening right now at The Post. This is the last day that The Post has dropped its paywall. Until midnight tonight, you can access as many free articles as you want. All you have to do is enter your email address when prompted. Go to WashingtonPost.com for more. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>